from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider here on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School and we are on Channel 111. Hey, if it's Thursday noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are taking your calls live right now. 844-WHARTON, that's 844-942-7866. I'm so excited to be here with Michelle and Dion, the Dream Team. I'm Dr. Don Graham. You're just tuning in. You're on Career Talk. And we are very excited today to have in studio one of our listeners' favorite guests, Ross McPherson. Ross is the president of CareerQuest. He is a certified interview and job search coach and just overall extraordinary human being. Can't say enough great things about Ross, but he speaks to our students here at Wharton. He's also speaking to audiences around U.S., Canada, and Asia, helping them write great resumes, great LinkedIn profiles, cover letters, video bios, you name it. Ross does it, and we're excited to have him here from Toronto today in studio in Philadelphia. Welcome. Thank you so much. Love being here in studio. This is exciting. Yes. And we would love to take your calls all hour because if you've ever had a question on your resume, wondering what the 2017 trends are, maybe you're sending out resumes and you're just not getting any traction, Ross can help you. 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You can also tweet questions at Dr. Don Graham on Twitter. So a couple of fun facts. Over 250 resumes are received for each job posting online. And the first resume posted is usually within 200 seconds. In fact, 427,000 resumes are posted on monster.com each and every week. So even if you are stellar, even if you have great skills, how the heck are you getting noticed with all of these resumes being out there? And that is what we're here to talk about today. 844 Wharton, 844-942-7866. So if you're driving and you always had that question, or maybe you're getting an argument with your friend, no, do this. No, don't do that on your resume. Let us hash it out for you on Career Talk. So, okay. So, Ross, I, in preparation for the show, I actually went and did some hunting on 2017 resume trends. Okay. So, the interesting thing to me was a lot of them, my opinion, weren't trends. They're the same old, same old. Like, don't put an objective. We know that. If you have an objective, take it off. Make sure it's accomplishments-based so you don't want things like responsible for on your right. So a lot of this stuff we've talked about before. So I'm like, okay, a lot of these things are still in existence. But what about like all of these trends we've seen around um, portfolio type mm-hmm. resumes or um, graphics types resumes? Because I keep seeing these things and I'm like, ah, but as a recruiter, I, I don't know that those work. Well, yeah, you're right. Those those are becoming a little bit more popular. You're seeing them all over the place. They're sort of one-page graphic resumes. There's all sorts of on, online sites that'll help you sort of generate something really dynamic and jazzy to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you on this one. I haven't heard recruiters saying they're falling in love with them, though, uh, to be honest with you. I think a, a lot of it is a, it's, it's design. It's cosmetic. And I'm not saying that the overall look and impression isn't important. However, it still boils down to the strategy behind your resume and the content. Mm-hmm. It's still, if the strategy isn't in line with, you know, you marketing your value to a specific role, if the content isn't strong where you're hitting what the company really needs to know about you and where you can add value, then it doesn't matter how many cosmetics, what cosmetics you put in or what kind of <laughs> fancy colors or charts. It's, you you got to hit the content first and foremost. I still it'll never go away. So do you, do you need one of these? Like I don't have one of these. I think should I get one of these? Well, there's nothing wrong with having one of them. I think in certain circumstances it can be a really great icebreaker if you're in a networking scenario, you hand over this really fantastic dynamic color. Um it's it's filled with all sorts of graphics and charts and it can be a really dynamic kind of an intro, but I think when it comes down to whether they're vetting you for a really serious role and they're taking a look at real hard content and experience, you need the traditional phenomenal version of your resume still. So we have it in your toolkit, but it's not a need to have by any stretch. Not a need to have. Okay. So um, I know you talk a lot about social media and LinkedIn and and that's a big part of uh, what you do. I think one of the biggest trends that I've seen, and I think this is very true, is that you must have a presence online, even if you have a great resume. And and not only that, but your online presence, be it Twitter, Snapchat, LinkedIn, has to align with that document. Yes, it absolutely has to. Everything has got to be aligned. And you have, everybody has, first off, you've got to be on LinkedIn. 
period. You have to have any compelling presence on LinkedIn. Most people uh, have what I call a skeletal LinkedIn profile. You got to have a decent presence on there and a decent profile. But the other thing is uh, Google yourself. What pops up? Google your name and see what pops up because guaranteed you're being Googled by someone. And so it That's is creepy, your, Ross. It is a little. But you're, it's being, you're, you're right now. You're right now. You could be being you Googled. You could be being Googled right as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it is literally, I mean, it's true. It's there's someone is going to Google your name looking for you. Um, if you send in your resume, if they're interested in interviewing you, someone will Google your name. They'll look for you. And you are the only person in charge of what's up there. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to manage it. It's more than just a LinkedIn profile. You can put a, a, a your own website together. You can get some thought content up there. Get some presentations of yours that show how smart you are up on SlideShare. Get some interesting stuff up there. That becomes your online brand, your online identity. So everything has got to align, though. Absolutely all of it. So I want to talk about that because that, that, I think we talked about that last time you were on the show about having your own website. I mean, yeah. again, I've heard as a trend that like, this is becoming a must-have. So going on to some of these sites that do it for free, Wix, Weebly, mm -hmm. and create your own website. I mean, is this a must-have now? Um, I Must-have? I still would say resumes and LinkedIn are must-haves. Have to, can't do without them. Mm -hmm. you, can you do without the website? Sure. Is it something that I think would be fantastic if you did something really dynamic and great? Go for it. Absolutely go for it. If it's going to distinguish you, help you stand out, help broadcast. It's like if you think of it as marketing a product or marketing a, a service that you have in your company, you are your product now. And if you can market it and be more dynamic and have more presence out there, go for it. But just make certain it's all aligned, it's all polished, it's all professional, and it can really make a difference. Mm -hmm. Hey, if you're just tuning in, we are here with Ross McPherson, who is joining us in studio all the way from Toronto. And hey, Ross, where can people reach you? They can reach me if you just simply go to, actually, I'll give you my email even, but it's ross at yourcareerquest.com. Or just go to my website, yourcareerquest.com, and you'll find me and can contact me there. I'd be happy to answer any question. And what I love about you, Ross, is you still have like a phone number. I have a phone number even. Which is? Which is 1-877-426-8548. I don't mind picking up a phone and actually talking to another human being. I was going to say, it. which is archaic, but you... It's archaic. <laughs> but it's, it's awesome. Yes. I won't it's tell classic. you my... It's classic. It's classic. It's classic. It's classic. It's vintage. I won't tell you my pager number because you'd laugh at me, but... No, we're nothing, just going to no, laugh not, at we're that not comment. Gonna, not even going to go there. <laughs> he does have a pager on it. No, I was don't say that. I, I thought maybe it was a pacemaker <laughs> or something. I don't want to. Oh dear, <laughs> we're going there, are we? <laughs> hey, we're going to go to Annette in North Carolina. Annette, welcome to Career Talk. What's your question today? Uh, my question is: What's the criteria for putting a uh, consultant at the end of your name? And the reason I ask is because I retired from teaching at a community college mm -hmm. in education and. Um, taught for 37 years and have a doctorate from NC State. So I'm just wondering, do you have to have consulted with someone or what's the criteria for that? So you're using the term consultant now um, and you are actually consulting to people or no? No, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I have a consultant with anyone. So that's what I was asking as I transition from full-time to part-time. Can you do that or do you have to consult before you put consultant? I see that a lot on, on a lot of business cards. Yeah, you got to watch. That's that's you're getting into tricky territory there when you start putting down the word consult only because I know um, from recruiters and hiring people that they see a lot of people will put consultant down as a default title when they haven't actually done any consulting. And it's considered sort of a no, no. If you get one consulting gig, even if there's even someone you do on a part time subtle sort of a basis that you can actually substantiate under it, then I would say you're fine to do it. Uh, but by all means, you know, if you can use consultant, but I think you're right. I would wait until you've got something under your belt before you can start using that title, only because it's overused. Yeah. And what about, um, I mean, volunteer work? I mean, could could you put that up front and center? Does it have to go at the end of the resume? No, if you can put that up, up front and center. It's a great point. You can put volunteer stuff. I've even put experience sections and simply put, you know, professional experience and then in brackets, you know, paid and volunteer and combine them all if that works to your benefit. Mm -hmm. So you can absolutely do this. There's nothing wrong. To, you could do that entirely. It's a great idea. Yeah, and Annette, you bring up a good point because there's a couple of things that are kind of spinning in my head around this. You know, So somebody, um, Ross actually just taught a class here at Wharton this morning, and one of the students had asked, well, if I'm in a job search, should I put that in my headline, at, you mm -hmm. know, searching? 
And I thought that was a great question because you see that a lot on LinkedIn. And I'm like, well, the headline is your brand. So is yeah. that your brand? You don't want your job. I'm job hunting right now to be your brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm never a fan, quite honestly, of coming right out and saying I'm currently looking. Agreed. Uh, I would rather know about what value you can offer me mm-hmm. and, and how you can help my company. And now we're now to, now we'll talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it, never it sounds it also comes across as a little apologetic. And I don't think that's the tone anyone wants to have when you're trying to confidently put yourself out there in a market. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And that thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. It's a great question. And we're going to go to Richard in Virginia. Richard, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind? Hi, Don. Hi, Ross. Hi Hello. there. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, I've tried that uh, career searching in the LinkedIn. It didn't get me many results, by the way. Um, the last time that you were on, Ross, you yeah. mentioned before even starting a resume, you should really step one is to do the research, looking at job postings, talking to people, finding out what they need. Um, since it takes time to discover and choose maybe which career path you want to be on, um, those organizations that you want to work for, yeah. if, if you're really in a toxic work environment, how do you craft your resume or approach crafting your resume to get out, but you're open to many different things? Uh, I mean, well, you know, it's, that's a that's a that's a good question. It's a tricky one, though, because if you're if you still haven't sort of narrowed it down, what you're going to end up with is something that's really quite generic. And I'm not saying it won't work. It just tends not to work as well. You tend not to get the kind of traction you really want to get. In a perfect world, you do want to try to sort of zero the narrow the funnel down in terms of what type of work you could do or want to do. And then build your resume around those skill sets, that experience and the kind of value you can add there. If you do need to just get out of a toxic environment right now, then, you know, if you see an opportunity, you know you could do that job, uh, then just simply put the best resume you possibly can together. What you could do is if you're going to build a bit of a summary or profile at the top of the resume, make that one something you can customize for each job, even if they're quite different. Just customize that top section to the kind of things that you have that they're looking for in that job and then build it that way. Uh, I totally appreciate the situation you're in. You still need to put something solid out there because if you're in a toxic work environment, it, you know, putting a, a generic resume out there is still just going to keep you in that toxic environment longer, you know, longer than you need to be. Yeah. And Richard, you made a comment in, um, in the beginning. So you're in a job search and it sounds like you really want and need to get out of where you are. And I think we've all been we've all been we've in all that, been there. Yeah, that toxic job search. But I'm curious when you go to the interview or when you have a phone screen or something and they ask why you're looking, what's your answer? That's a good question. Well, you you know that your career has stagnated where you're at, and uh, I do, and uh, that's not where you want to be. You, you look for those development opportunities to grow, and um, that's really what you're seeking. Yeah, so, okay, I'm just going to be, like, this is, I know a lot of people have this. I, that's not convincing me as a recruiter. I'm going to ask you more. I'm going to say, well, what does that mean? Um, and here's the danger when you're running um, away from a job versus two is, that that kind of negativity that you're experiencing every day in your job kind of comes through in your answer. So you want an answer that gives people enough information that they're not going to ask anymore, but not too much information that they want to dig deeper and say, "Ooh, what's the juicy stuff behind mm-hmm. that?" So, um, you know, so a couple of things that I think you can talk about. Yeah, and I think that's pretty standard. You've reached a level to which there, whether there's no more projects or there's there's nothing you can do. But I think you need to be a little bit more specific and. The more important thing is to talk about how, where you're going so that whoever's company you're interviewing for is the right place for you. Say, so now I'm ready to take my skills in X, Y, and Z and bring them to a company such as yours and add my value this way. And I think that's important for two reasons. One, you're answering the question they really want to know, which is why have you chosen us? And two, it brings you to a much more positive place because talking about the future um, and, you know, getting out of this this negative place you're in is going to automatically make you smile and make you happy and, and kind of get your mood in a place that that is positive. So I think the, the less you can talk about the negativity and the more you can talk about where you're going, I think that's really going to help. So thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk, Richard. Great question question. Hey, we're taking your calls all hour if it's Thursday at noon Eastern time at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. Or you can tweet at Dr. Don Graham. We are here with Ross McPherson, who is in studio from Toronto, answering all of your resume questions. And we're going to go to Thomas in California. Thomas, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Uh, well, uh, the, I'm trying to switch industries from the financial sector to, let's say, like a lifestyle company like Vans or Converse or something like this. And I was curious, how long might a change like this 
occur. I've been uh, sending out resumes, and I got some callbacks for about two months, and I'm not sure how long to uh, hedge my bets here. Interesting. So as a career switcher, um, my favorite kind of career transition, <laughs> as Ross knows, um, the resume is important. It's extremely important. And Ross will, will tell you a little bit about the aspirational side of the resume first. But the second thing is, is I think networking is going to be critical because sometimes it's difficult on a resume to give them the information they need um, to, to understand how your former industry can apply to their industry. But let's talk about the resume. Ross, tell uh, Thomas how he can position that resume to be as effective as possible in a career switch. Well, Thomas, can I ask you a question first? You yes. said you're moving from, was it finance into sort of lifestyle companies? Yes. Okay. And would you be in the lifestyle company, would you be doing the similar type of finance role or are you completely changing roles, not just industries? Uh, it's also a role change, I believe. I'll tell you honestly, I'm in project management in the financial sector. Okay. And so my plan is to get into something project management-wise, but uh, they don't exactly match up because I'm the project manager in the finance division for right. a financial company. So uh, I don't think that those are really there. So it would be switched from like a finance project manager to a creative project manager or product project manager and get. Okay. And where do you, just off the top of your head, where do you see the difference between that finance project manager and that? either product or lifestyle product manager. Where do you see the differences? I would see it in uh, most of the project work that I'd be directing, understanding that. So it'd be, okay. we're not doing forecasting anymore or modeling. We're doing, you know, something else, getting out uh, a batch of design or trying to understand the vision that uh, the sponsor has for got it. The, the project. Okay, so you got. I mean, you have a couple options, and Don hit the nail on the head. And when it comes to your resume, you you've got to connect the dots for them. Um, and one of the things that I I'd probably recommend to you is a couple things. One of them is you might want to, if you're going to build sort of a, a section at the top of your resume that's sort of a, an introduction or a profile or a summary, um, you might want to make make that all about the the elements of project management that the lifestyle industry or the lifestyle sector is a tr needs and wants. So you may need to tone down the finance component of the, your brand and make it more about the project management. And the other piece that you could do is if there's anything that they're looking for that you know you could do but you haven't done, and I was just mentioning this in the session that I just did here with Wharton, is there's these three magical words that you could in include in, in a resume at the top, which is ideally suited to or able to. And then if you said, I'm ideally suited to, and then start talking about lifestyle project management, then they get it. Then they see, oh, this guy gets it. This guy understands project management in our world. And you haven't beaten them over the head with the finance background, then they at least will see you as a viable candidate. So you've got to really make a compelling case for them, talk their language as best you can. And you've got a short little section at the top of your resume to do it. And then what you might want to do in your experience section, as best you can, I realize it's in finance, there's not much you can change about it. But I would typically, when I'm doing this for a client, I would probably at the same time try where I could to tone down the hardcore finance, you know, terminology and just sort of bring that down a little bit and make it more about general project management and leadership and bringing things to market or whatever. Those are probably off the top my, my best ideas, but you've got to make it logical and, and viable to a, a lifestyle market. Yeah, and, and Thomas, um, you had your original question was how long does it take? And I think I think that is the magic question because here's the thing. If you're at, at most levels, if you're talking about just the average, I would say a job search can take three to six months. When you layer on things that make it a little bit more challenging, like relocation or if you're switching careers, things of that nature – it can add time onto it for the sheer fact that it's a little bit more challenging now. So um, if you're at the, the four to six month mark, you're probably you know still within range. Mm -hmm. and, and I think you mentioned you were doing it for two months, but definitely networking, which doesn't always feel faster because you think, well, I have to talk to somebody and then I have to do this and this and this, whereas I could just shoot a resume off online. The results are infinitely better for mm -hmm. career switchers, especially if you start getting out there talking to people who are at the companies that you want to be at because those positions open. You want to get to them before they're even advertised and say, hey, I got this great guy, Thomas, you should talk to. So I think 
add that to your strategy and you will be golden. Thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Hey, we are here all hour. Take your calls at 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Ross McPherson. Joining us from Career Quest, resume extraordinaire, guru, <laughs> all those, all those great words. And a hockey fan. Uh, yes, I am. Of which yes. I um, am learning. And learning. Yeah. And, and we were talking about the Stanley Cup, which is going on right now. Yes, it is. And, and I found some fun facts. Go for it. Yeah. I had to look these up, though. Two babies have been baptized in the cup. Really? According to Google. Wow. And Google's always right. Google's, Google's never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know who the, the cup was named after? Uh, Lord Stanley. Dang. Yeah. You do. Don't ask me who he is, but I know he was a lord. Yeah, Lord Stanley of Preston. There you go. In 1892, he was the Governor General of Canada. Now, there you're you go. from Canada. I am indeed. They don't teach you that in, they, it, uh, in You'd history. think. You'd think. I might have missed that particular day <laughs> of school. Do you know how much it weighs? No, but I do know how many beers fit in the top. 14. 14 beers. 14 cans of beer will fit in the top. <laughs> now, how did you learn that? I learned that actually last year from Rick Tockett. I met Rick Tockett, who was one of the coaches, and he had the Stanley Cup for a day, and I met him, and he just turned to me and said, guess how many beers fit in this? And that's where I learned it. So straight from a guy that actually tried. So for all of you celebrating the World Series of Hockey, the as I The World Series it. of Hockey, yes. <laughs> The, the badminton championship of hockey. Sure. You now have some fun facts to share <laughs> with all your friends. And I'm, I'm just going to do a shout out to my colleague, Karina Myers, because it's oh, her yes. birthday today. And she is also a very big hockey fan. And she is rooting for one of the two teams that is playing in the World Series of Hockey. Yes, sir. But I'm going to not say it because we're going to remain non-denominational okay. on Career Talk. And okay. But there is one team that she is very passionate there about. Is, yes. There is. There um, is. So, and quite frankly, I don't know the other team. <laughs> so, hey, we're going to go to Travis in Maryland. Travis, welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you today? Hey, Travis. I've been uh, day trading, trading stocks for a while. Um, that's been my primary source of income. However, I'm looking to get a traditional job now. And I'm wondering how to put that experience on a resume. Ooh, so you're, okay. So, You've been day trading for how long? Um, a couple months now. And, uh, you know, doing other things that qualify as self-employed for about a year and a half. So the interesting... So I don't want to have a yeah. big hole on my resume. No. 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 And I, that's a really good point, Travis, because... And here's the interesting thing, Ross. Like, the gig economy, which is becoming... Mm -hmm. this, or portfolio careers. I mean, there's a lot mm -hmm. of names for it. Like, people now are doing multiple jobs, whether it's, you know, driving Uber and being a consultant or teaching part-time and doing all these things. So I think Travis brings up a really good point. If you're you're immersed in this gig economy and you're you're doing kind of a number of different things, how do you represent that on your resume in a way that doesn't look like, you know, well, I guess it looks like something an employer could understand. That is it's it is tricky. I mean, because this is something that actually even the resume world is trying to sort of wrap their head around is is how do you present that because it is non-traditional. Um, it doesn't have that sort of reverse chronology that resumes are sort of designed around. Mm -hmm. But do you include it? Absolutely, you would include it. Um, you're right. Um, you know, to his point, you don't want to include it. You don't want to leave a gap. Um, and if day trading is what you've been doing, then by all means, add that in there. Now, one of the little tricks you can do is if it's, you know, if you'd said, if you've, you know, one of a number of different types of self-employment for the last year and a half or, or year, year plus, uh, you can actually build it into your experience section. Um, how, and, but if you wait it the same way that you've waited other sort of full-time kind of roles, it can look a little odd. So one of the little tricks that I've done is if someone has done something sort of a little offbeat or off the, out of the off grid, I guess you could say, um, since their last full-time role is you could, I just sort of center it on the page at the top of the experience section before you get to their last full-time role and just say currently doing X, Y, and Z. And, you know, include, which includes and just sort of elaborate there. And it's just sort of a little blurb. It's a little sort of nice to know saying, here's what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. um, so you're filling the gap. Are you going into exhaustive detail of what it takes to drive and, you know, to, you know, drive for Uber? No, you don't need to. You don't need to give it the same weight. But you're at least saying I have been gainfully employed. I've been doing this and this and this and this, which requires skills in this area and that area. And it's a little blurb and it only simply fills the hole. So that's another little option you've got. Otherwise, you can. I mean, if you're looking to get into a role where day trading is of relevance, then by all means, put some weight to that and include it. 
Travis, thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to Ross McPherson, who is resume extraordinaire guru. That's your that's your that's, name. It's on my card now. Hockey fan. Hockey fan. Knowledgeable in the Stanley Cup. The Stanley, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the World Series of Hockey, yep, as, as I am now from now on going to call it. <laughs> yeah. You can give us a call at 844-WARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And we're going to go to Sam in Massachusetts. Sam, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Hi. Um, yeah, I, I, um, a current MBA student at uh, Babson College, getting my MBA. Uh, and while there, I started uh, a business. And I've been working at the business for the past, say, three, four months, uh, since, like, February. Uh, and... I don't know necessarily how to put it on my resume because technically it's not really a job. I'm not getting paid, but it is still a job experience. And um, I'm the working as a brand manager, so doing all the marketing and setting up the the strategy and the tactics of what the business. The, the, we opened a fitness studio and um, doing all the strategy behind the fitness studio. Okay. okay. So what are you looking to do? So one added to my resume, um, and then also also some some guidance on. I had a past work experience which did not end well uh, which wasn't necessarily my fault uh, it was a bad situation for me to be hired into in the first place and I feel like now when I try to go to interviews and I spend a decent amount of time trying to explain what actually happened and then I never get a call back so I feel like I'm kind of damned if I do damned if I don't okay okay and what type what type of role would you be would you be targeting next so uh, more uh, marketing. I'm, I have a background in experiential marketing, email okay. marketing, uh, but I, I want to get more into brand management and using strategy, uh, built, using basically experience that I'm getting at grad school now. Okay. And so the the role that you um, like while you're completing the MBA at Babson, you started off in this other company. So you're not there is no other full time job right now. You're getting a full time MBA or just part time without a full time role. Part time but a full time role. My idea was to get a job. Um, I was working at, I don't know if I could say brand names, but a big office product company, mm-hmm. um, and it didn't end well. And uh, my plan was to work through school, which uh, that went out the window right before Christmas. So I would spend like four or five months me not having a regular work role. So I figured, use my degree, and start something for myself, and over time it'll turn into something. But in the meantime, I'm still looking for jobs. But everyone, I keep getting... I feel like I'm telling them what happened, and which I kind of got, for lack of a better word, I got screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to explain what happened, and they're like, oh, that's a bad situation. I can understand that, and I don't get another call back. It's like, Okay, so yeah, so here's here's um I think I think I got this. I mean, yeah. so I, I think what Sam was asking is, can you kind of use your your degree as sort of this is what I'm doing right now? Um, and I think yes, you can. you can, you can definitely because that's obviously doing something. Um, but I think the bigger uh, question here is that you're getting hung up on why you left this large office products company that wasn't good. And I think you need to you need to come to some kind of resolution with that. That's that's a, a truthful answer that you can say, but also doesn't give away, doesn't really get into anything about, you know, they treated me poorly or they sucked or it was, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff, because that all may be true. But if you think about an employer who's interviewing you, right now they associate more closely with your last employer than you, because you guys are yeah. on two different sides of the table. So they're going to kind of relate to them more closely. So what you want to do is you can simply say, it didn't work out, you know, at that company. So I decided to focus on my studies. Or you can say, you know, maybe your studies, you wanted to focus on your studies. So you're taking some time to do some part-time work. And now you're looking to, and again, go into that future versus spending a lot of time in the past. Because what I'm hearing is the past isn't good. So that's not the, what you want to be focusing on in an interview, on your resume, you know, put what you need to put on, and focus on on kind of the aspirational things. I would totally agree with that, and, and it is. I totally understand the situation. I hear it all the time, um, but it is. And even an earlier caller, one of the things you've got to in an interview, if you have had that bad experience, uh, or just the job that didn't fit, it, or it ended in you know, I've had clients who have said you know it's now with the lawyers hammering it out. Whatever it happens to be, there's a couple things that I always work with my clients to do. First one is just on an emotional level, you got to come to grips with and just find a way to get past the emotions of it. And secondly, you've got to finesse an answer, just to Don's point. You've got to have a finessed answer because no matter what you do, no matter how you frame it, 
no matter how much fault was the company's, it will reflect more on you in an interview. And it's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Sam, for giving us a call on Career Talk. Your situation is one many people struggle with, so we really appreciate you giving us that information so we can address it on air. Hey, if you have a question, 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And right now we're going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? Yep. So we're going to stick with our Stanley Cup theme. And first off... um, just one little quick fact. It's the only trophy in pro sports that isn't remade each year. So there's a fun mm-hmm. fact. But the Stanley Cup also has this, 250 days a year. It has this. What do you think it is? Think you know 844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk. On Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Sirius XM Channel 111. We are powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And hey, for more great tips, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham or Log into my blog. Log into my blogging. Log into my blog. <laughs> Don Unkers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but hey, we're 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 here with Ross McPherson to answer all of your resume and job search questions. So if you have one, give us a call eight four four Warden eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're going to James in Virginia. Welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind, James? Hi, Don. Uh, so I am not looking for work at the moment. However, as I listen to the callers that call in, you know, I hear a lot of skills that they don't identify themselves. My question is, how can somebody who is looking look at their roles and stuff that they perform, their experience, and identify the skills that they have that they don't recognize? For example, we had a, a somebody calling in with financial uh, project management experience, mm-hmm. modeling data, and so forth. That value I can use in a number of different positions in a various different ways. I mean, the, the, and is critical to informing almost any business decision. So how do, how do people think about and identify what they can do that they don't understand intrinsically? How do they understand what they can do that they don't understand intrinsically? About, about themselves, right? What skills yep. that they have... So, I mean, there's two ways to come at that. I mean, I think if you're looking for a job, um, yeah, you need to know two sides. You need to know what you're good at and what the market is looking for. So, I mean, you do need to know those two sides. I think a lot of people don't stop and reflect on on what they're really good at. They just keep kind of regurgitating their job description onto their resume, and they don't really think about how it all ties together and what are those underlying transferable skills. And I think one way to do that is just to really, um, one, understand what the market wants, and then two, look at your own skills and say, do I have those? And drill down, I call it to like the basic ingredients. So like the, we had an earlier caller talk about project management. So what are the basic ingredients of project management. So you need to be able to be organized. You need to be able to probably interact cross-functionally with different types of individuals. You probably need to know how to budget. You probably need to know how to use technology and and those types of things. And then you can kind of rebuild those and see where you've done that in your career. But I think connecting the dots is something that people don't necessarily do. So I think that's one way to do it. But I'm going to turn it over to you, Ross. What do you think? Uh, The other way you can do that, that's absolutely correct. The other way you can do that, and I've done this with clients before as well, is when you're really trying to uncover the, whether you call it, you know, transferable skills or the sort of, you know, um, sort of integral foundational kind of skills that are behind some of the things that we do that you may not, may not see right off the top on the surface is I'll start asking like, tell me about something that you did that was a particular success. And they'll start breaking it down. I'll say, okay, how did you do that? And then you drill it down further. Okay, how did you do that? And what skill was required in order to do that? Because And then once you start breaking it down, and you can take any accomplishment, whether it's an on-the-job accomplishment or something you did fantastically in your personal life, you start breaking it down and saying, what skills 
am I applying? And all of a sudden, you know, the analytical skills, the ability to, you know, handle complex information, the ability to juggle multiple things, multiple ideas, the ability to think strategically and think outside the box, all of these things, you can start discovering all of these skills. You can get a list of like 20 skills that allowed you to, or enabled you to achieve project X or accomplishment X. The other one that's great is ask people who, who worked with you, ask for sort of a 360 assessment. Um, you can even do sort of a, an online sort of survey monkey survey kind of a thing. Just go to a website that allows you to send it out to people anonymously. Ask them the question, say, when you were working with me, what did you see? What were the skills that I brought to it? That And people just respond to it. They're responding anonymously. These are all people whose opinions you would respect. And I did that once and did sort of a 360 with about 40-odd people that have worked with me and known me. And the results were fantastic. And I heard mm-hmm. saw things that I didn't see, but it seemed every almost everybody else acknowledged so that's another great way to do that. And then you can start uncovering those those sort of, as you call it, sort of hidden skills that have always been there. Yep. Great question, James. I think a lot of people need to stop and do that. And I know you said you're not in a job search. Um, and a lot of people don't, don't do that. They go for years and years and years and work, and then they decide, I'm going to be in a job search. So, I mean, I'm, I'm of the mindset, you should take a look at your resume, your LinkedIn, once a year, at least a couple times a year, maybe. But make sure that what's out there is what you want the world to see because things change at a rapid pace in the world of work now. I mean, we know people don't stay at jobs longer than about four years, I think, is the average. So, you know, keeping up on that is going to make life a lot easier when you're ready to go for that job search. Thanks so much, James. We appreciate you giving us a call on Career Talk 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. And we're going to go to Aaron in Colorado. Aaron, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Yeah, um, I really like you guys' show, and I appreciate you taking my call. Um, I'm actually an employer, uh, employer of, you know, employees, and I'm, I'm finding it really hard to find the, the proper salespeople. Um, we're, we're in a pretty niche industry, and it seems like every time I hire a salesperson, they go out on these sales jobs, and they're, you know, big clients in, in, you know, different countries and things like that. And and they take the information and they go and want to go start their own companies and things like that. Um, and, and it just happens too often, whether they're in contracts or, or not. Um, it's been a problem. What, what do you guys suggest on how to pick the right people or, or you know, really keep people in line as far as, your, your outside salespeople. So, yeah, how long are they staying, Aaron? Uh, around a year. Okay, and are they, um, I mean, it's interesting because I'm trying to kind of dig in. Like, I just read a stat while preparing for the show about the fact that, like, millennial generation, about 50% stay in jobs a year now, mm-hmm. just slightly over a year. So, I mean, that might be one thing that it's just if somebody's earlier in their career they're kind of jumping around trying to figure out what they want to do and so that might be that might be a sign for you but it's it's difficult especially in a job like sales to to guarantee that somebody's going to stay i mean certainly people in sales are motivated by money so i mean how's the how's that do people have a lot of control over what they make at your company i'll tell you uh, honestly we pay pretty high on our commissions or 10 percent, and these are you know, pretty good sized jobs. So, um, you know, in some cases, those guys are making more than the actual company is, which, you know, is understandable. But at the same time, I, I don't think it's. I think it's almost a too much money issue that they see that they see the the size of the projects and they they think that because they're like the contacts and and they're the you know the face out on the job that they can just you know take that client right so i mean maybe that that needs like a non-compete type thing exactly what i was thinking (laughs) Um, because that that could actually deter people um from doing that that could solve a lot of things but i think what the research shows aaron is that um people like a couple of things at companies they like work that motivates and inspires them for everybody that's different so i mean 
hopefully the people you're hiring are really driven by sales. And I think when you're interviewing them, your questions and your process of interviewing people should should really, I mean, look at the job description, what they're doing day to day and finding people who really are driven by that is going to be helpful. And then they like working places where they they have, you know, company friends where the, the environment is they feel like they can go and they have the people there they can talk to and they can enjoy it. And it doesn't mean you have to have a Google culture of pinball and foosball and beer and all of that. I mean, you don't need that. But I think people like, um, you know, that autonomy to be involved in those types of projects. So asking those questions up front, I mean, you certainly can ask questions like where you see yourself five years from now, but no one's going to tell you, like, I plan to leave after a year and take your clients. I mean, that would be a dumb answer. Um so you kind of have to get to that in other ways and, and through other questions like, you know, what, you know, how do you see yourself adding value here? You know, asking questions that, that make them think about, well, you know, the first year I'm going to be learning, the second year I'm going to be doing this, but also providing people with opportunities to grow because I think that's another reason people leave companies is because they don't see where else they can go. And maybe there are places, but no one's communicating that. I've heard a lot of employees say there's just nowhere to grow, but they've actually not asked their boss. They've actually not talked to anybody. So I'm like, well, how do you know? So those are some of some of the ideas we have here on Career Talk. Aaron, thank you so much for giving us a call. 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So we are going to go back to our pre-break quiz and talking about the World Series of Hockey. <laughs> <laughs> so we already know that there are 14 cans of beer that can be held in the Stanley Cup. Um, I asked you how much it weighed, and according to Google, 34.5 pounds. That's pretty heavy. And you've held it, right, Ross? I have actually, I have actually almost hoisted it. Yes, I've yeah. held it, and it, there's a weight to it. When there's you, a weight. You, if you hoist that thing, it means something. There's yeah. a bit of weight to that thing. Yeah. But our question was... The Stanley Cup has this 250 days a year. And as Dion pointed out, it is worded strangely. So, Dion, I'll give you that. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to change the wording to, to help me out. No, I'm not. No. I, I can't, no. really. Great. Um, okay. I know the Stanley Cup goes on tour after somebody wins it. So, I'm going to say it has a tour for 250 days a year. God, you're so close. I want to give it to you. But what do you mean by that? It it has a um, a vehicle, um, kind of like the Pope Mobile, but for the Stanley Cup. <laughs> it has a Pope Mobile. It has a Pope Mobile. God, that is that is like so close. I want to give it to you, but like <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I, I'm gonna give Michelle a shot. Like God, that's like a half ding. Like it's so close. <laughs> okay, let me try this. Can no, you it, do it? it? Didn't work. No, um, <laughs> can't half ding. You can't half ding. We have um, we have our awesome production assistant in here, and I'm stealing his answer right now. Uh, awesome, uh, Seamus. Sorry, <laughs> Seamus. He has a it has a handler, its own person handling it. Yep, a chaperone. Oh my god! There we go. Nice. Chaper- but you're like you're right, Dion. Like it's like the chaperone has a. I'm sure a Pope mobile. <laughs> like I'm sure that's one of the perks of the job description is you get to ride you in the Stanley ride in Cup. The St- Stanley Cup Pope mobile. Pope mobile. I love it. So yeah. So lots of things we're learning about the Stanley Cup and the World Series of hockey. and the World Series of hockey. <laughs> just wait. Just wait. The the NHL is going to consider that. I'm sure they will. You know that. Sure hey, why hadn't we thought of that? I, you learned it here first on Career Talk, Sirius XM Channel 111. Hey, you're just tuning in. You are on Career Talk 111. We're here with Ross McPherson talking all things resumes, LinkedIn, job search, how to brand yourself. If you're a switcher, we'd love to take your calls at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So, Ross, in doing my search for these trends, Mm -hmm. um, I found some things that I'm like, wait, are these true? Like, things I hadn't thought of. So, I thought thought I'd bring some of these up. So, one of the statements about 2017 resume trends is that if you're still using a Hotmail, Yahoo, or AOL account... Like, you're pretty much doomed. No one's going to look at your resume. Uh, it, it does date you. Is it, <laughs> is it going to kill your chances? No. Um, but it is kind of the – it is sort of the email equivalent of, like, throwing up your MySpace. I mean, it's like, no, really? That's just a little a out there. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it does age you. Let's be honest. It does sort of – it is a little dated. I would probably say you might want to consider – in terms of an email address to be contacted at something maybe a little bit more current. I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be a killer, but yeah, why not? And just please make it a decent, That's professional. That's the bigger thing. Yeah. That's <laughs> the bigger address. thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sure you've seen a couple interesting ones in your day. Yeah, I have seen a couple of interesting ones in my day, and I'm I'm this is a PG-13 show, so I'm not going to repeat them. But yeah. obviously, you don't want like hotgirl.com, no. Um, and, and apparently, you don't want you definitely don't want hotgirl at aol.com. No, because no. that's like no. I, I, You're my, definitely not getting my, called that. My personal favorite, and I think I can say this, was Grizzly Pimp at whatever it was. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means. I didn't want to know. know. What I really that means. didn't want to know. I just said, please change that. See, that maybe that's the chaperone of the Stanley Cup. I don't think so. Is, no? <laughs> All right. Just checking. So the other thing that I see a lot and is your your work email. Like you're oh, in a job dear. and Goodness. you're trying to like get another job and you put your work email. Unless you're applying internally at that company, don't <laughs> yeah. do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it does not look good. It does not go over well at all. So this one I thought was interesting. Is this true? <laughs> the use of caps only will not be accepted in 2017. What does that mean? They won't be accepted. That's harsh. Like all caps? Yeah. It says, it says you are not screaming, so therefore there's no need to use it in your resume. <laughs> well, I would use it in a heading still. I don't think there's a pro- I don't think you're screaming the heading at them, but no, I, I, that's surprising. I'm surprised at that yeah, one. Yeah, I have it in my resume. I mean, I think limited yeah. use. Limited use. So Yeah, if in the middle of a bullet point you're saying, you know, like yeah. you're screaming, you increase sales at something, that's a I bit rock. much. But I rock. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I mean, if you've got all caps in a heading or something like that, stuff, go for it. Yeah, this one comes up a lot. But again, in my, my online search for resume t- trends, one page is now the standard for 2017. I mean, that's been around for decades. It has been. It, it is gaining a little bit of traction right now. I, I am seeing a lot more um, of interest in sort of keeping things to one page. But by the same token, I've heard an awful lot of people and recruiters who have said one page isn't enough content. When you know, further into a career, I'm not learning enough. I want, I want to know more. Uh, so and it's it, I still think I still I don't think they're going to turn a really compelling two page resume away. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they're going to. If you can put a great, fantastic, compelling, dynamic one-pager together, go for it. But it's not its not that a two-pager is wrong. But I do think that it, it is a um, – they call it like the Twitter resume or the Twitter impact or whatever. I do think <clears throat> that people want to hear you say something in as short of a way as possible. It is certainly leaning towards that. I, I would absolutely agree. People are it, – it is leaning toward – listen, a few years ago, there, a three-page resume was not uncommon. And that that's just verboten now. You just don't do that. So it is it is going that way. But I think there's a point at which it just hits, sort of hits a threshold and says so you've still got to put some content in there. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Ross McPherson of Career I can't say that. Career Quest. Yeah, say it quickly. Yeah. Did you like do that on purpose? Just Name your you. company something that's hard to say. <laughs> Career Quest. Hard to say on radio. It is yeah. hard to say on radio. Um Answering all of your resume questions, 844-WARTON. That's 844-942-7866. We are taking your calls all hours. So if it's Thursday, noon Eastern time, and you have a question, we would love to take it. So here's an interesting one. Um, You do not have to list all the schools you attended. You only have to list the ones with the highest credentials. So that was interesting to me because I'm like, that's not what I do. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, is that true? Is that What do you see? Is that uh, I've again, I've seen it. Uh, you know, so if you have an advanced degree, like a master's or an MBA or whatever, and have some advanced degree, and you only need to list that one because the bachelor's is now sort of not as not as significant, you can get away with that. I've even done it occasionally. I'm not saying it's a rule. I don't think it's a rule of thumb by any stretch. And certainly, if you got your undergraduate or the lower degree or certificate at a school of note. Or if there's something noteworthy about it that you might want to keep in there, then by all means, keep it in. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't think it's a rule by any stretch. But it's it's an option that's becoming more and more allowable. We'll put it that way. Yeah. And I do I do think on that topic <laughs> of, of education, you do not have to put your years any longer, no. which which used to be the case. But I mean, that's kind of giving away your age and all that yeah. stuff. And, and I think that there is a trend where they call it control your timeline. You don't even have to go back more than 15 years on your resume, nor should you. Especially no. if you're talking about things like internships or you know very no. junior level jobs, I mean, because I think your your chances of getting biased against for age discrimination is higher than your chances of that information being useful. Yeah, you can make reference to earlier jobs, <laughs> um, but you don't need to necessarily list them with dates and all of that sort of thing. I don't think it's helping anybody. Yep. Hey, we're going to go to Dave in Vermont. Dave, welcome mm-hmm. to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Hey, I got a quick question. Um, I started out my career, I'm in my late 40s. I started out my career with a very stable job, worked there for about 15 years. 
And then I had a period where I would have, I had a two-year job, just didn't connect, changed change jobs. I had another two-year job, and then I'm at my current job, which is going on nine years, and it looks like they're going to be doing some downsizing. My question is, should I include those in my resume? Because the first thing as a hiring manager I see is instability with the two jobs, job hopper kind of thing. So I'm not quite sure if I should include them in the resume or if I should just focus on the longevity of the two other um, big jobs that I held. Yeah, and you said you're in your last job, Dave, for nine years? Yes. Yeah, so in my opinion, as a recruiter, your two years, two years, two years before that is, is kind of negated by that nine years because especially if it's early in your career when you're figuring things out. And I mean, my bigger question to you is, like we were just talking about, you don't really need to go back more than 15 years, so are those jobs helpful? Do they add something? Uh, because maybe you want to list one, maybe two, but maybe not all of them. You, you and I totally agree with that. And if you, now, did you want to mention, was there a specific reason aside from the longevity that you wanted to mention that very first job that was 15 years? Yeah, because that's where I kind of gained my, my logistics experience, my management experience. Got it. There's a lot of meat and potatoes that are in there. Okay. I hate to leave that out. Okay. Then direct connection of what I'm doing now. Then I would, by all means, leave it in there. But if you want, I mean, if you take those other two two year roles out, then you have a bit of a gap between the two, and that can create just a, a different red flag. So just make short reference to them. You don't need to weight them very heavily. You don't need to go into tremendous detail. You can just sort of list them. Give me some description of what you were doing there, and sometimes you can even justify what happened or why it was a short tenure, or, you know, I mean, aside from, you know, I was I was let go, you don't want to say that, but if there was some reason for it, sometimes, you know, the company didn't last, or you just sort of justify it, then they see it wasn't a job hop. And, you know, they did see that the 15-year tenure was before that, and there's some meat there. But to Don's point, you know, as you're, the further back you're getting, this is becoming less and less relevant. I wouldn't worry too much about it. The last nine years is what's going to carry the most weight for them. So really knock that out of the park. Mm-hmm. Great question, Dave. We really appreciate you giving us a call on Career Talk. We are taking your calls all hour at 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. And okay, so Ross McPherson and I are talking about resume trends for 2017. Mm-hmm. So this one is not new, but I, I still see it on resumes. But it, it and I, this is true. This is not Ross's is true. I'm going to say this is true. <laughs> Do not put Microsoft office proficient at microsoft office on your resume oh my god yeah Uh, it's it's kind of like saying i know how to use a telephone Mm -hmm. i mean it really you might as well Mm -hmm. put that down there too no Mm -hmm. it's that's harder i think (laughs) (laughs) no seriously yeah um proficient in microsoft office please and and, or you know some others break it down into word excel outlook Mm -hmm. email um no email yeah email yeah i can use email it's still out there Mm -hmm. Don't, don't bother all right, last question, and we, we are wrapping up yeah. here. So what about hobbies? What about hobbies? Hobbies? Uh, here's my rule on it. I think we've talked about this before. My rule on it is if, you've, if you want to list it, fine. If you've got something more of an achievement level to your, you know, associated with it, like you say, I, li- I like running, that's one thing. But if you ran the Boston Marathon, that, that's something I want to see. That's impressive. If you, let's be honest, between you and me and the, and the lamppost, if your hobby you know other people find is a little weird or creepy, mm-hmm. I'm not going to cast any sort of judgment on it, but just keep it to yourself. Don't put it in your resume. Avoid creepy. Avoid okay. creepy. And on your LinkedIn, avoid creepy. But yeah. hey, but if it's an accomplishment, like you've climbed Mount Everest. Oh, you've, go for you've it. You've won the Boston Marathon. You've won the World Series of, of hockey. hockey. Put that on. Put that on <laughs> <Exactly>. your resume. <laughs> but honestly, the rule, you don't need, no one is, no one's going to make a decision one way or the other. Based mm-hmm. on the fact that you like playing, you know, Frisbee. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. All right. Well, you've heard it here on Career Talk. Hey, Ross, thank you so much for thank joining you. us here in studio. We love having you. Where can people reach you? They can reach me um, at my website, yourcareerquest.com. And I'm going to once again throw it out to you. I'll, you can even reach me by telephone, one 426 8548 Just begs the question, do you have a fax machine? Oh, stop. All right, we'll stop. Hey, hey, Michelle and Dion, you make this show sound great. Thank you so much. And to our callers and our listeners, we are here for you every Thursday. So thank you for tuning in. If you'd like more great advice, you can follow my blog, dawnoncareers.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. You've been listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111. We will see you next time.